This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. This week, Gary's Cherries almost derailed the Gunners' title charge, while Wolves made a big statement with regards to their Premier League survival. This week, as always, we are joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Tom, it was a week where the other 14 did a respectable job of standing up to the big boys, but the fixtures proved a little too much for Leeds and for Bournemouth. Um, But what was the biggest surprise of the game week for you? Well, I think, you know, initially seeing Bournemouth going to a 2-0 lead against Arsenal, especially after the fact that they scored nine seconds into it, um, sort of running it back to, to England. You never want to score too early, um, CC Luke Shaw. Um, but then, obviously, Arsenal um, go and grab uh, a late winner. and I wasn't really surprised by that. I think the biggest shot for me has to be the result of St Mary's. You know, Leicester, week in, week out, proved to be one of the most difficult teams to predict. Um, for them to go... To bottom Southampton at time of recording at St Mary's, where Southampton we know are typically weak against those in and around them, and especially against a Southampton side that midweek lost to League Two Grimsby in the cup. This should have been three points for Brendan Rodgers and his sides, especially with Madison coming back from injury. I, I just I don't know where this team is going right now. It's sort of well, you that's... think they go on a brief run and think they're dragging themselves away from it, but then they go and perform like that. Well, they've lost and three then... on the bounce now. Yeah. Like, that's they've the had a difficult the run, minus the Southampton game. They had Arsenal and they had United. True. But for them to be constantly dragging themselves back into it out of their own fault, back into the relegation sort of conversation, that, yeah, that has to be one of the biggest shots. That has to be the big shot for me this week. Yeah, well, looking at the table, we'll go into a couple more of the results after the classifieds, but the table now stands with Southampton and Bournemouth both at the bottom of the table on 21 points with uh, just the six-goal difference separating them. Everton and Leeds occupy 18th and 17th respectively with 22 points apiece. Then you have West Ham in 16th on 23 and Leicester now in 15th with 24 points. And then Forest on 14th with 26 points. And then you have Wolves and Palace both on 27 points. So even from 18th through to now Palace on 12th, that's that's five points. It's, it's, as getting, it's saying, tight. It, it, I don't remember a season where there's been this many teams still potentially involved yeah. in a relegation battle. Normally well, by now you'd have maybe four or five battling it normally there's one who's dead and buried one very adrift yeah and then the next kind of four up from them are all in a bit of a tussle until maybe yeah. like game week 35 or so and then maybe another one will get dragged in yeah but now we're up to most teams have either played 25 or 26 games at this point so 30 yeah, 12 exactly. or 13 games left and it's crazy how tight it is the fact that yeah 12th you could consider 12th place a relegation spot 
at the moment, um, which is absolutely mad. So, you know, this this is why I'm looking at Leicester to try and drag themselves away from it because they've got 13 games left. Three of those games are up against the big six, where two of them are at home. They have to play City away. That's a favourable-ish run from now until the end of the season to just pick up points and just get yourself out of it. But then they go and lose to Southampton, and I just I just don't know this side. And Brendan once again is being linked with potentially getting the axe. And as I just generally, if there's any Leicester fans sort of out there right now, sort of I just want to pose the question: where do you where do you think it's it's heading? What, what direction do you think your team's heading in right now? Because you're looking at the future. Um, obviously Madison is gradually getting out of contract. The likes of Tiedemans are heading off. I just, I just don't know where the team's heading. Yeah, it's a bit of a conundrum for Leicester yeah. at the moment um, from the heights of where they were to being in a relegation battle. But the same could be said for a couple of clubs actually at the moment down there. Yeah. Um, but before we go on to the rest of the results, Tom, over to you with the classified results. And here are the classified results for match week 26 of the Premier League 22 23 season. 2. Newcastle United, nil. 3. AC Bournemouth, 2. Aston Villa, 1. Crystal Palace, nil. Brighton Hove Albion, 4. West Ham United, nil. 1. Leeds United, nil. Wolverhampton Wanderers, 1. Nil. Southampton, 1. Leicester City, nil. Nottingham Forest, 2. Everton, two. Brentford, Fulham, late kickoff. Tom, thank you very much for those results. Um, I think so. this week we didn't want to just dwell on the relegation battle as we have done for many, many weeks. we've been doing it for a few weeks now. So, well, it it is the thing that is always going to draw in the other 14. Um, but for this week, we are going to be doing a bit of positive talking after last week we reflected on the fact that we haven't really spoken much about Brentford so shortly in the show we will be talking about how good Brentford have been the run that they're on and what has really got them there and why they're not suffering from second season syndrome um but there's some results we can't really avoid talking about from the game week so we'll quickly run through them um first and foremost Tom uh, I think one of the surprise results, which you've already covered, was Southampton-Leicester. But the other one for me, probably which was the most surprising, was the fact that Wolves beat Tottenham at home. Tottenham have been on some reasonably good form since Conte's been ill and now recovering, and they've been under their number two. But they have been consistently inconsistent. Uh, Wolves, however, managed to absolutely fend them off, dug in deep defensively. Um, even though Spurs created a lot of opportunities, um, Jose Sarr definitely kept Wolves in the game. And then they were able to steal a goal via Adama, um, which was a very, very good goal as well. So, um, yeah, three points for Wolves. A bit of a surprise? I'd say a little bit of a surprise. I think the fact that Spurs were coming into the game, obviously midweek lost in the cup um, to Sheffield United, uh, big up Sheffield with that. I think they would be looking to try and prove a point, but over the recent sort of weeks and months, especially since Lobotigui has come in, the way Molyneux has been set up to become a bit more of a fortress now, more so than it used to be sort of back when Wolves came up a couple of years ago under Nuno. For them to, again, ground out a 1-0 win, um, 
I can't I can got the um stats to to hand, but I think that must be like their, at least their third or fourth one 0 win at home uh, this year. Um, I think that is one of their most consistent results. I I just think a real solid performance, and like you said, with Spurs being as inconsistent as they are, you know you can see them sort of performing well one week, and then they go and get hammered to Leicester. What was it four one the other week? You had it as more of a surprise. I I was sort of slightly expecting the result, but again, it, it's nice to see the other fourteen sort of taking down one of the big six. Absolutely, um, and I guess upon reflection, yeah, it's probably not a massive surprise, but. Still, it's one of those where you probably seeing the fact that Wolves were being dragged into a relegation battle, and I still don't think they're necessarily out of it. Um, they're not out of it, but I, I you'd think probably, they're, they're... yeah, I just think for that game, you might have slipped maybe a Spurs player yeah. into your fantasy team, and obviously a bit of a shock from that regard. Yeah. Um, one of the results, which obviously you mentioned, which was absolutely astonishing, uh, Bournemouth taking the lead against Arsenal, going 2 0 up at the Emirates. Nine obviously, seconds. obviously, yeah. The first goal being nine seconds uh, with Billings' goal, which Shane Long can breathe a sigh of relief. Well, it only just was a bit slower, yeah. wasn't it? Because it was nine point one one seconds, which is yeah. absolutely crazy. Um, and then obviously, kind of, it's what the it's that sort of result that when they're two 0 up, as soon as Arsenal scored, pretty quickly after Bournemouth second. You just sort of knew. Yeah, you kind of saw it just going one way, which is a real shame because it would have been an absolutely huge upset with yeah. not just relegation implications, but also at the top of the table. Because It, it must be something about a North London side that Bournemouth just, they, they want to go into a 2-0 lead and just absolutely sort of shit their pants. It, did it happen against Spurs? I think it did, didn't it? Um, I don't, well, I... It happened earlier on in the season, didn't it? Um, I'm having a look that. now. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't remember. There's a big difference. Um, so against Tottenham, uh, yes, you're absolutely yeah. correct. The same thing. Kiefer Moore got a brace at um, went two 0 up and at then... the vitality, and then Tottenham came back. got a 90 second minute winner. <laughs> oh, it's brutal for the Cherries there, not being able to hold on. I don't league. like North London. Well, it's one of those that it's not those sorts of results where you should be giving everything, is it? I know they've got a bit, they've got a rotten run of games coming up. Yeah. Um, but when you're two nil up, you, I, I did not watch the game, so I don't know. But you would have thought you just go ultra defensive. You yeah. two nil up, you camp out. You do not, you don't make a break on it. You just, it sounds really negative. But when you're so desperate for points, you play negative football. If you, yeah, hundred percent, you play allardyce football because. Ultimately, like you don't you don't get any awards for going down and playing pretty. Um, no, but no. Um, then other results from the game week. I think the least surprising result was uh, West Ham going to the Amex and losing. Maybe the surprise was the fact that they lost by four goals to nil, but um, that runs continued where Brighton are remain undefeated against West Ham. So it's the longest run currently for uh, other 14 team against another 14 team. Yes, because I think the other one was Brentford, wasn't it? I mentioned, was it Brentford against... Brentford v Leicester, which which is in uh, a game week or two, I believe. So we'll keep an eye out for that. That will be an interesting one to see. Yeah, that's the 18th of March, so only a couple of weeks away now. That will be the interesting result to see what happens there because, yeah. There's a lot on the line there. 
Well, it's the fact that Brentford are at home, which has been really, really good for them. And they're against Leicester, who are massively underperforming. Another interesting result. And obviously, Brentford do have their game this week. Um, it's a Monday now, football against Fulham, so you didn't mention it in the classifieds. Yeah. Um, but I suppose we should move on to talk about Thomas Frank's men. So last it. week, we had the conversation and it kind of came out of nowhere that we realised that Brentford are on an absolutely obscene run of undefeated Premier League football. So their last loss was going way back now um, to the 23rd of October when they lost in the league to Aston Villa and they got absolutely thumped there, 4-0 at Villa Park. But since then, they've been on an absolutely tremendous run, including... A win away at the Etihad. Mad result. A two-all draw against Tottenham, beating <laughs> Liverpool 3-1, and getting a point at the Emirates. So it just got us thinking, didn't it, Tom, that maybe we should be... We're very crass to talk about the top of the table and go, oh, well, Newcastle are doing well. Oh, well, Brighton well, are Bright- doing well. Yeah. Oh, Brighton, Brentford being one of the teams up there, we've gone, oh, Brentford are doing well. But this run... We're not looking at it in detail. No, we haven't really looked at it in detail. We've read out all their good results each week and seen that they've been winning games, drawing games, and it's been absolutely phenomenal from them. Um, But it just gave us a bit of reason to maybe delve a little bit deeper into what's going on at Brentford. Um, And, yeah, that's what we want to do now, is do almost a little bit of a school report on Brentford, how they're doing, and really why they are doing so well this season when last season was just a season of survival in their first season of the Premier League and they've really been able to kick on. So I think the main thing I want to start with is really Thomas Frank himself because I think for most of us when a team comes into the Premier League with a manager who doesn't have much Premier League experience you kind of have a a fair amount of doubts about the man. Um But Brentford was his first team in English football. So um, Frank, being Danish, managed the Danish youth sides for a number of seasons. So I think the likes of the under-18s, under-19s. He then got his first chance at being a full-time manager when he was appointed as Brondby manager in 2013. So in his time at Bronby, he, in all fairness, I don't think it was necessarily a breathtaking um, breathtaking stint there where they finished third and fourth in a couple of his seasons over the best places. Um, I think for us, when you look and say Danish League third and fourth, I think I could only maybe name about three or four Danish teams anyway. So to me, yeah. that doesn't necessarily come across as massively impressive but obviously we don't know Danish league football no. that well so still would I say Bronby is one of the more well-known of the yeah. Danish clubs so I would think if you've got uh Bodmer Glint you've got uh Mitchelland and you've got Copenhagen. Um, Copenhagen so they are for me and and Bronby are the bigger teams yeah. so obviously third and fourth not particularly like amazing I wouldn't necessarily say no but then 
he took a bit of what some people might see as a downgrade because he went from a team that was qualifying for the early rounds of European football. He then went and joined Brentford as an assistant manager in 2016 under Dean Smith. So this was when uh, Brentford were in the championship and they had, well, I suppose they were getting noticed at this point. They were bringing it through a lot of players um, of some quite reasonable talent that have gone yeah. on now. So the likes of Ollie, Ollie Watkins was in that kind of team. You've also got um, Saeed Ben Rama, who is in that team. And I think, although they've clearly not really suffered from it, they were a bit of a selling club. They would have players that performed in the championship for them and then eventually got moves away. Yeah, I think um, there was also the likes of Sergi Canos, who, who went there. Um, he was a ex-Barcelona well, ex graduate, um, moved to Liverpool, obviously didn't make the, make the cut, and then decided to make the move to Brentford, where he had some very sort of... Um, Precious uh, years in the championship didn't quite plan out quite well in in the Premier League. Um, he's now moved on to, um, to pastures new. Well, not dead, but that, that came out really wrong. Um, he's now moved on to um, to other other things. But um, yeah, another another player there who Brentford fans really really got behind um, during their sort of championship uh, run over the last couple of years. So with um, so Frank worked under Dean Smith for a couple of seasons and then Dean Smith got the call and went to Villa Park in October 2018, which obviously for Dean Smith, um, a big move, but then it didn't quite work out for him because he then got shipped off to Norwich and then has since been sacked from Norwich and I think is currently jobless. Mm. While Frank took over in the October of 2018 and kind of, I think, once again, a somewhat unremarkable season where they end up finishing 11th in the 18-19 season. But I think they're definitely one of the smaller operating teams of the championship if you compare yeah. to like, some of the big boys that are down from the Premier League on a regular exactly. basis. Parachute payments, et cetera, um, et cetera, yeah. Exactly. And as a team that hadn't touched the Premier League, they were very much a small fish in a big pond. And the championship is so hyper-competitive. Um, that uh, mid-table finish for a, a relatively small side. And when you think about Brentford is a London club, but they're absolutely swamped by London clubs around them of similar sizes, if not bigger. So all the yeah. way in West London, you do have QPR, you've got Fulham, you've got Chelsea, not far from them. You've also got Tottenham and Arsenal. So um, for them to stand out, it's a lot of hard work. Then in his first season as full-time manager, Brentford ended up finishing in the playoff positions in 1920. So that was the um, kind of first COVID season where the everything kind of got locked down and finished off in the summer behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, they got through to the playoffs. They got through to the final um, against Fulham, where they lost at Wembley to Fulham. So one of Fulham's many yo-yo events over recent <laughs> years. Um, but then the following year, Frank led them again and did one better and they got through to the playoff final again. But they beat Swansea two goals to nil. And then that was really then from there, the start of their Premier League experience. So when they came into the league, I don't think, I don't know about you, Tom, but you see Brentford get promoted and at the time you don't really worry, do you? You you no. there are some there are some big teams that get promoted from the Premier um sorry, there are some big teams and like it, it's obviously all a matter of perspective, but there are some teams from the 
that get promoted from the championship and you are worried about because you think, oh, they used to be in the Premier League. They used to be a force. You know, they're difficult grounds to go to. They've got... They're starting to yeah, sort of re-emerge. They do yeah. have a bit of a history about them. Uh, while for Brentford being completely new, my perception is, oh, it's just a team that's going to rock up and then disappear very shortly. Yeah, I, I saw... When Brentford came up, I had sort of similar sort of visions as to when the lights of Blackpool came up, when the lights of Huddersfield came up. Teams who had basically no experience whatsoever in the Premier League, their fans were obviously overjoyed by the fact that, you know, this is the first time they've been into the top flight or the Premier League as it was, or as it is. They might enjoy it for a couple of seasons. They might have one season where they stay up, sort of escape by the uh, by the skin of their teeth, and then lo and behold, they get relegated the following season, and just head back down, and then just all never heard of again um, as the lights of Blackpool and um, Huddersfield are. But they have just sort of kickstarted, um, yeah, so, which yeah, go on. Yeah, so in that first season, um, I remember their first. They were the first game of the season um, at home it was to the Arsenal. Arsenal. It was Arsenal, wasn't it? Yeah. So they had just opened their new stadium, which unfortunately, well, which they had quite a long time where fans couldn't go and watch them. So they had a really good season in the championship where pretty much they never had fans the opportunity yeah. to watch them, which is obviously a great shame. But then they opened their new stadium at home to Arsenal. And to be honest, once again, you're looking at, oh, Arsenal, new manager with Mikel Arteta. Um, he might start to do things. He's been working under Pep's tutelage. And, oh, Brentford are just this new team. Do Who are they really? Do You, you don't really recognise many players on the team sheet. But I think to say the footballing world was very much surprised when... Brentford turned out winners in that game, and one of the goal scorers, being your man you mentioned not too long ago, uh, Sergi Canios, um, scored one of the goals in that game, which I think massive shock to everyone. And then it just kind of kept rolling from there. They just seemed to keep performing at a high level, where people didn't really think they would be in their first couple of games in the Premier League. They beat Arsenal that season 2-0. Then they drew away at Palace. They then drew at Villa Park. They lost to Brighton and then went and beat Wolves away. And then following that, they then drew 3 all with Liverpool. I remember some that game very well. Some absolute statement performances from them very early on, which I think immediately got them recognised. Um, yeah. I think yeah, there were a, a small team sort of on sort of sort of small fish in a big pond type thing, but we're always going to sort of back themselves. And it's, it was a, uh, it was enjoyable to watch, you know, it was also with the likes of Leeds coming up and that, you know, two teams relative, well, I know Leeds have got prior experience, but, um, you know, two teams that were just going to sort of go hammer and, uh, hammer and nail at it. Yeah. They were definitely sides that brought attacking football to the Premier League and, um, it's normally a bit of a negative outset, which I think a lot of teams do do when they come up from the championship is, well, we're best setting up away very defensively, trying to steal a point or three. And then at home, that's the time where we can kind of make an effort. But that's something that Leeds definitely didn't do last season. 
um, Brentford didn't do last season, even the likes of Fulham this season, are doing so well as a newly promoted side because yeah. they're playing absolutely fearlessly home and away. Um, and then, so Brentford, I think, one thing when we're talking about Brentford, one person we can't not mention is, obviously, um, Ivan Tony. Yeah. So I think we were probably slightly more aware of Ivan Tony than perhaps most other football fans. But I think the main reason of that is we've got a friend that is a Peterborough fan who would rant and rave about Ivan Tony nonstop and constantly and about how such a good goal scorer he is. Obviously, our perception of Ivan Tony was still, but he's not done it in the Premier League. Yeah, he's he's a football league player at best. Yeah, like you think. Well, it's I suppose it's one of those that you'd look at the like. It's the, it's the Dwight. It's the Dwight Gale conundrum. Yeah, um, although he's gone to prove it wrong this season. There's obviously oh, yeah. uh, Mitrovic as well, who are players that you go, oh well, you can score in the Championship, but can you do it in the Premier League? Um, and he proved us all wrong immediately. So he's a player that's spent time at Newcastle. Well, he came through Newcastle went on a lot of loans out all through the Football League. He's then wound up at Peterborough, got a got a move to Brentford um, for five, just over five million. And then he's not really looked back. Um, he was an pr- absolutely prolific goal scorer. Um, he was an absolutely prolific goal scorer in League One for Peterborough, moved to the Championship and absolutely banged them in for Brentford in that promotion season. So he got 31 goals and 10 assists in 45 games, which obviously compared to like Mitrovic numbers, they're not that great, but they're still really good goal scoring um, performances. And then in his first season in the Premier League, in 33 games, he got 12 goals and five assists, which I think were a lot. Turn. I think there are a lot of strikers in the Premier League that play have played in the Premier League for many seasons and would be happy with that. I'm looking at the likes of, say, um, Callum Wilson, um, Jimenez at Wolves. I think they would take 12 goals. If you turn around to them at the start of the season and said you're going to take 12 goals, I think most of them would say, yes, please give that to me now. Um, I, I would have taken that for a 35 million pound Danny Carroll any day. Absolutely. So... Tony, absolutely phenomenal player. He's then kicked on so significantly this season. So he's only 21 games into the season and he scored 14 league goals. Yeah. Which has very much been a a key attribute and kind of attacking crocs to Brentford. Yeah. Admittedly, when he's not played, they've still scored goals and played well. But without him... And we said this at the start of the season in our preview pod is that, oh, they've had one good season, have Brentford. The only way that they'll be able to stay up and kick on is if they follow it up with another good season where Ivan Tony has to be absolutely critical and crucial to that season. And his goals of scoring two every three games is an unbelievable record, right? For an the striker oh, who's only in his not, second season yeah, in the Premier League. Not to mention his uh, his penalty streak as well, that still exists to this day. Oh God, yeah. We well, we mentioned that what very early on in the pod. Very early. That's a very pod, early yeah. stats corner. Um but uh, I suppose for one thing I want to talk about Brentford is where where's the limit for them now? Because obviously they, they don't operate on a massive budget. 
looking at the transfer window that they've recently had, obviously they've then had Premier League money, which they can spend. So they bought in Damsgaard um, and Hickey from Italy for just over 30 million euros combined. And then they signed Keen Lewis Potter for um, just under 20 million euros from Hull. So they don't go and splash the cash as much as a lot of other Premier League teams. So looking at the likes of Forest, West Ham, um, who particularly this season spent a lot of money without much output. He's not really added a huge amount to the squad. And they lost Christian Eriksen, who they had for half a season last season. But they seem to kick on phenomenally and still produce unbelievable games. And it's not just winning football. It is entertaining football from them, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I, I guess where the ceiling might be, and I guess sort of questions, and I suppose at some point we should sort of mention the elephant in the room, the fact that Ivan Tony does have this potential ban sort of lingering over and we don't know how long that's going to be yet, is the question about, and this was also similar when sort of Southampton came up a, a few years ago under, um, who's got, who did they come up under? They got promoted under Atkins. Under Adkins, wasn't it? Yeah. And then they went through... They, they went through Poch and Potch, then Koeman. Um, Koeman. And then they were sort of... They were up and they were playing good football. Um, you know, really nice nice team. You know, lovely part of the country. And they were losing players left, right and centre, obviously mainly to Liverpool um, at, at the time. Um, and that sort of constant loss has led them down into a... A situation where they find themselves out now. My question really for, for Brentford is one, whether or not they can keep hold of their players. And I'm sort of ultimately football is a money sport right now. Money does talk. The lights of Tony, the lights of Mbuomo, you know, who's still what, 23, 24 years of age, is still very young, but has been one of the, uh, Brentford's bright spots this year. Whether or not they can keep hold of those sort of, those sorts of players. Um, and how it affects the squad. Plus, you've also mentioned the fact that Brentford, being in the area that they are, is how big of a catchment do they do they get? Um, you know, is there a, a, a confined sort of physical cap or ceiling um, to how far they can go? Because you have the likes of Chelsea and maybe slightly bigger side in, in Fulham, um, who are maybe have just slightly more outreach than the likes of Brentford do. I don't know. Um, it's interesting to see. I think they could potentially follow that sort of Brighton mould where, you know, scouting has obviously been a key thing for, for Brentford and they've brought in very, very well. And they've co- they are coached very, very well as well. Um, as whether or not they can sort of follow that model because the, the two sides are very sort of similar in, in that regards. So with the question of where can Brentford go this season and where do they expand going forward? So obviously they are kind of jostling for those European places. Um, I think reasonably at this point, they're sitting in ninth with Brighton and Fulham and Newcastle as the other 14 members above them who occupy um, sixth through to eighth. I don't think it would be unrealistic for Brentford to get one of those European spots. My only thing with no. Brentford is obviously they've got they've got the they've got the talent to go toe to toe with the best teams in the league. As you can see from their yeah. results, they have beaten 
and pulled out astonishing performances against the so-called big six and even the best of the other 14 they've been phenomenal against. My thing with them would be if they were to then have Europe, given their squad size, could they realistically do it Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday? Because the thing for them is this season, they have had obviously this clear run of Premier League fixtures just week after week after week. So they lost in the EFL Cup in the second round that they were in, where they lost to Gillingham on penalties in early November. They then in the FA Cup, yeah. um, they're maybe perhaps the one blemish on their records since the World Cup is that they lost 1-0 at home in January to West Ham in the FA Cup in the third round. So pretty much for them, it has just been each week they've had a game. They've not had to worry about any other extras. It means that with his kind of consolidated squad, his squad that he knows very well, chances are they're not going to be picking up as much injuries. They're not going to be getting fatigued as much. And I think that has possibly been a key contributor to how well they've been playing is that they know this. He knows his squad. He knows what he can trust. And that pretty much they're going to be at 100% come the first whistle of every single game. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. You know, there is a huge... Um, well, there's, there's teams currently in, in this year's league that have been massively affected by the likes of injuries. You know, you look at the likes of, of Leicester have been blighted quite a lot. Madison's sort of being very much in and out of, of fitness. Um, also with Crystal Palace, that they keep losing players left, right and centre to, to injury, just starting to get some players back now. So, but they have been on a terrible run because they've been, haven't been able to sort of string together a, a consistent sort of starting eleven. But like you said, Brentford have. Um, so it, it is interesting to see whether or not, and like you, I, I think it is very, very doable with the position that they are in to make that run. Probably, I'm not so sure on like a Europa League spot. I would be sort of vying more for that Conference League spot. Um, just because of Liverpool's recent run, Newcastle, I think, will turn their form around eventually at some point. Um, and Brighton are very much up there as well. I think Brentford can definitely, definitely aim for that sort of conference league spot. I mean, they've only lost four games all season, which is nuts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it would be interesting to see if they do get that European spot, how much that does affect them. Um, I, I, I'm not a financial expert. I don't know what their, their budget is like, but I'm going to imagine for a, the size of ground that they have for the size of club that they are it's not a massive budget so for them to massively expand their squad going into a European campaign the following season I just I can't see it my, my issue would be they would perhaps have, have to add too much too quickly um, while yeah. I think in terms of the finances they'll get so much money from placing so well in the premier league this season so if they're top, if they're top 8 they've made bank so looking at like talking about like the closeness of their squad and how they've been uh, able to do this so looking at who's played so they've played what 25 games is that about right uh, they oh yeah. sorry they've played 23 games so um, and bear in mind, they've got knocked out quite early in 
the cup competitions, they've had nine. So they've had 23 um, league games. They've then had, say, three cup games, three or four cup games this season. So they've had nine players play over 23 games. So they've been able to pick pretty routinely almost the same starting 11, I would imagine. Same starting 11, exactly, yeah. um, Week in, week out. Obviously, with the odd injury, they might have had to mix up a little bit. But looking through their squad, talking about finances, if they were to become a club that then has enough interest to sell players, looking at who they have and who has been performing to an incredibly high level recently. So obviously, you've got Tony, I think, most of the Premier League would consider going for him without a shadow of a doubt. And he would probably fetch... I could see a Premier League club, whether Brentford would accept it, but I could see a Premier League club easily going in with a, like a £50 million bid for Ivan Tony, like easily. Yeah. Like the re- return on goals from him, obviously pending whatever punishment he gets for his uh, gambling yeah. issues... Um, but then the likes of Mbwemo and Wissa, who have been absolutely sensational as part of that front line as well, who maybe play the understudy a little bit at times. Yeah. Um, they would both easily you'd be if someone signed Mbwemo for thirty five million in the summer, I would say they've got I would a say just good move. That's yeah, good I would move. say they've got a bargain yeah. there. Yeah. Um and then even the likes of Rico Henry has been absolutely sensational for them at a left back. Uh, David Raya in the Spain World Cup squad. David Raya in the sticks has been fantastic. Yeah, he's been absolutely quality. And then uh, even the likes of bringing in Ben Mee. Obviously, he wouldn't bring in much money because of his age, but quality player, set-piece threat, added so much to the squad. And then I suppose the other player who... Well, defensively, they've got some really good players with lots of Jan out, but I'm really impressed by Josh De Silva. I think he's a sort of midfielder that... Uh, he doesn't get noticed much, but I think a lot of managers wish they would have a Josh De Silva because his work rate that he puts in, and he is technically yeah. really, really good. Um, and he's got a great spot for a pass as well. So. I mean, he, he showed off, yeah, he showed off all his skills pretty much in that United 4 0 demolition at the start of the season. So, yeah. So it does make you think that if, given the finances, they will sign some player, they'll sign a couple of. I don't think Frank will want to change too much if they've only got Premier League football next season. But obviously, they've got the risk of if they lose any players. But I think he would only choose to sign a few. But if they were to sell some players, they would make absolute bank on the, the initial investments quite easily. They would oh, make yeah. it up. So be. I don't think finance is anything they'll have to worry about in the future. So going forward, it'll just be about that level of squad management between if they are in additional competitions, how much do they push for that? Because obviously disappointing yeah. results in the cup, if they were to try and push those, because I think they're a team that, as we've said, they can beat anyone on their day. That is the, an absolute lethal. They're a lethal side to get in the cup in theory. You wouldn't want to. Yeah. I don't think any I... of the big teams would want to draw them away in, in an FA cup, say quarterfinal or something. No, and I, I guess that's, an, I think, if we're going to look at also disappointments of, of this Brentford season, uh, there's not been many. But I think you do have to look at the fact that they have been knocked out of these cups so early. Um, 
when teams have no real commitments to either Europe or they can keep a squad together very sort of quite well with no sort of interruptions or anything like that. If you don't get a cup run going, especially with the team of the likes of Brentford, the way they've played this year, you'd consider that a disappointment, right? I think you would, but I suppose it comes down to what is the priorities of of the fans. I think if you turn around to the fans and the board and even the players and the manager, at the start of the season, if you turn around to them and went, we will finish in the top 10 of the Premier League, but we won't go particularly far in the Cups, I think... I think everyone, bear in mind where they finished last time in the se- uh, last season in the Premier League, they finished um, kind of bottom middle in around the 14th mark. Yeah. I think if you had to say, oh, you're going to finish top 10 this time, but not have a cup run, I think everyone would take that from the word go. Obviously, we've then seen how they've played this season and it might make them be a little bit, oh, well, perhaps we should have gone for it. I think it's just more. a question about what if, what if. Yeah. But, you know, you can't, I don't think you can really be... I think, yeah, I think you're right. If you're going to be really hypercritical of this Brentford squad, it would perhaps be that. A disappointing loss on penalties to uh, Gillingham in the League Cup and then losing to West Ham at home in the FA Cup, given how poor West Ham are away from home. Um, Yeah, it's... Don't get me wrong, there's a lot to be excited about this Brentford side, but I just thought I might just add that that's probably about the only disappointment. So apart from that, they've had a stellar, stellar season. Exactly. And I suppose the big thing will just be what business will they do in the summer? What will the implications be for Ivan Tony? And the obviously being their key goal scoring threat. Um and just what will their target then be for next season? Because is this is this a peak or is this the level that we can expect them to be for the next couple of seasons? Obviously there are long term trends that they might buck to and you're allowed, I suppose, yeah. your bad season. But if they're able to, they've got a very young squad. They have very few players over the age of 27. So in theory, they should be able to keep this going for a good couple of seasons. And Frank is a very sensible manager who can put this, who has put this squad and this run together so far. So you don't really, there's no really reason to doubt that they can't replicate this for the next couple of seasons, is there? No, I don't. I don't think so at all. I, I, and I, I look at the discussions that we had earlier on the start of the season with the likes of Brighton, and obviously mentioning the likes of Graham Potter. You know, you do have to question at some point sooner rather than later that you know one of the big six might come in, or one of the sort of more higher ups, um, one of the bigger sort of teams of the other fourteen make a potential move for Frank or he might even be sort of touted from from Europe you know they, they might get a European spot and then suddenly he's on the European radar I think um, to be honest given the results it wouldn't surprise me if he's already on some level of European radar oh, no, absolutely not yeah like, absolutely. It, 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 I know they're having a very good season where they're um they're challenging for the Bundesliga title but if for example, Dortmund, for whatever reason, didn't have their manager next season. If Frank moved to Dortmund, you wouldn't it be just, surprised. Would no, you? It, 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 it seems like a Dortmund's type of uh, type of move. To be fair, yeah. Um, I yeah, I, I just guess there's 
there's sort of history in, you know, teams sort of making a good run for Europe and then just sort of lose a couple of players here and there. And then it just all sort of starts falling to to pieces and they get derailed and then it ends up in relegation. You know, I'm not saying that's ever going to happen for Brentford, but you know, that there's the there's the script there from from the past. Um I hope, you know, I I just I am very interested to see how it goes because what Brentford have done so far is literally just nothing short of incredible. Yeah. I suppose that's just the approach that they've what they have been doing and done so well is don't settle, just accelerate. And that's what they've done. Finished yeah. in the Premier League quite comfortably last season. And they've gone, well, do we want another season of surviving or do we want a season yeah. of fighting? And they've come out all guns blazing. And I suppose if that's their mentality and that's the mentality of Frank at the top, next season, if they uh, if they have still have most of the squad together, to be able to build on this, it's almost quite scary to think what they could do if they're just going to go, we're just going to go again and really yeah. hard at it. Particularly if they don't, if they miss out on European football, would be a shame. But then, what could in theory stop them? Because they they can pick anyone apart. A couple of more additions to the squad, people will want to join Brentford. We yeah. saw it as a bit of a shock, I guess, when they signed Damsgaard, because Damsgaard was seen as like from um, Sampdoria. Yeah, because well, everyone saw Damsgaard as this. Yeah, he was this player that stepped in to replace Ericsson on an international level. He was a bit of a, a raw youth talent thinking, oh, he can go anywhere. He goes to Brentford and everyone's a little bit surprised by that. But he's not played a huge amount of games this season. But Yeah, maybe... I've actually been slightly disappointed in him if there is... True, you know... but it might be one of the things that he's just been managed really well. Yeah. And it's the same with, in all fairness, it's the same with pretty much their three young signings that they made in the summer. Aaron Hickey, Lewis Potter and Damsgaard haven't really played a huge amount of games. They have featured, but they've not been, they've, um, Hickey has made 11 appearances, Potter 13 and Damsgaard 15. Um, that includes off the bench, so they might not necessarily have started that many. But they're young, bed them into this squad for a season and just say next season, come out fighting they've got three young talents there that could be absolutely incredible for them next season yeah absolutely um i i guess and this is this is going to come out of the blue and sort of sound harsh but i i don't want to turn up like a crystal palace a team that from my perspective just is very much happy to sort of stick with the mediocre it seems yeah i i think harsh but fair I think they've kicked on well from Roy, but then they've kind of stagnated a little. Have stagnated, but and they just, they just seem to be very much, yeah. But I very suppose, much mid-table. I suppose this Brentford side, they whereas Brentford have shown the ambition. That's what I'm trying. Exactly, to, they've shown their ambition. They're in yeah. a new stadium, and they will just want to kick on. And it seems yeah. like that is their aim. So to be honest, next season I wouldn't want. I don't want to face them this season, let alone next season when it. I'm like... glad that we don't have to face them anymore this season. Actually, no, we do. Oh God! <laughs> so we have to play of, So, in terms of their winning run, and I know that you're going to do a bit for us later on winning yeah. runs in the other fourteen in Stats Corner. Given their form and Touchwood, I know I'm going to curse this. We were recording Monday night, and if they go and lose at home to Fulham now, I'm going to feel we are awful. sorry. We are cursing you, Brentford fans. I do apologize. They're at home to Fulham, away at Everton. Away at Southampton, home to Leicester. So their next four games, you Winnable. would say, or at least 
no, or at least unlosable. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Then Brighton in and around them will be a good fight. Then away at Old Trafford, inconsistent, home to Newcastle. Like they could go on and keep up that strong run. The only thing for them is at the end of the season, uh, four of their uh, four of their six last games are away at Stamford Bridge, away at Anfield, away at um, Shite Hart Lane, and home to Man City. So four oh. of their last six are against the big. Whoever six. come up with those, fi- whoever come up with those fixtures, just anticipate. I think Brentford to be in that relegation fight. And just thought, you know what? Screw you. But instead, they're going to be absolute. They are well and clear of it. They're oh, how, many yeah. point, how many points they're, are they? They're on? above the forty anyway. No, well, they're on thirty-five now. So yeah, they'll oh, be absolutely fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, those final couple of fixtures are obviously a bit bastodic, if that is a word. Um, I like that. I think that's going to be our word of the day. Yeah. Um, so I think their run could, in theory, continue. Touchwood. I apologise, Brentford fans, but everything about this club is so exciting and it's, it's how like, to run a club and it is what other teams aren't at the moment so you like look yeah. at the likes of Everton over the last couple of over the last god knows how many seasons they've always wanted to show ambition and haven't done it well enough you've then got teams that haven't shown ambition like Southampton they've stagnated massively um and the likes of as you say Palace have kind of settled for a yeah. fair bit so to see a team come up from the Premier League Fight first season incredibly. So get promoted from the championship in their and in their first season fight the way they have, and then second season really kicked on. It's just really good and uplifting to see. And obviously, they have been one of the best performers in the other fourteen so far this season. And with only four losses to their name this season, is absolutely. It still astounds me that it's only four. Like, but for reference, for reference. West Ham, who last season finished in the European spots, West Ham this season have 14 losses. They've got 10 more losses than Brentford in 25 games, which is... So it just goes to show that this team are doing incredible things. The only teams that have lost fewer than them are Newcastle, Man City, and... Well, Man City have lost the same amount of games, and Arsenal... Um, who have yeah. also lost three, the same as Newcastle. So United have lost more than them. Tottenham have lost more than them. Liverpool have lost more than them. Chelsea have. Yeah. So, so it's absolutely incredible job. to see. And I'm so incredibly positive about Brentford. And I can't wait to see how they kick on next season and what absolute madness they might be able to unleash on the league. And also where they'll finish this season. I think yeah. there's a chance that they've got a sniff at European places. Um, and it. we'll... And we'll see where it can go from there. I think that conference league spot is well up for grabs for them. Well, Tom, as I've just mentioned, we've been praising Brentford for their incredible lossless run. I think unbeaten run is perhaps the more accurate one. Unbeaten, I think, yeah. Yeah, but then lossless. Um, So I asked you to do a little bit of research into other 14 unbeaten runs. And that is what you're going to show off for us in Stats Corner. And welcome to Stats Corner. Welcome all to another edition of Stats Corner. Now, as we've already discussed in the show, um, Thomas Franks Brentford are currently enjoying a wonderful run of results right now. And any sort of second season syndrome 
probably died off when they tore apart United right back at the beginnings of the season. That time it was just the four that United ship, not seven. As mentioned, that run stands at 11 before tonight's fixture against Fulham. So like with most stats corner features, a light bulb went off, as Reese has mentioned, and into the archives I went. This time, the aim was to look for the best unbeaten records out of the other 14 past and present. Now, disclaimer, this is during the Premier League era. So for all you football purists out there that are currently shouting, well, I guess football was invented in 1992 then. Obviously, it wasn't. But to keep myself from wasping through the matrix of first division results for teams dating dating back to 1888 and spiraling to some form of insanity, I kept it to the Premier League era. I'll be honest, I'm guessing our demographic. I'm going to take a guess. There's Given our potential demographic not many were born pre or aware of football pre-1992 so for the purpose of this for the purpose of this i'm saying football it was only invented in 1992 come at me fight me for it well i guess you're not a football purist then are you absolutely not right so without further ado let's get down to it so there's some pretty iconic teams that went unbeaten for 12 games uh meaning brentford need just avoid defeat for one more game to match the likes of title-winning Blackburn Rovers back in 94-95 and Leicester City under Ranieri in that miraculous 15-16 campaign. Yeah, that's right. Two of the other 14 teams of past and present who went on to win the league only managed a 12-game unbeaten run. And Brentford, a one-off of that. that. Sorry, so Leicester's best run in the league was... The year that they won it was 12, 12 games unbeaten. I think it's probably the fact that they were more consistent over that period as opposed to sort of going was... on a mad, mad unbeaten run. So that was, and I'm just looking up to jump in on your stats wagon, that was their last 12 games of the season. They yeah. didn't lose in their last 12. That is how you... That is that's how, how you win a, That's how you, that's win, how a you win a league. You just yeah. keep going. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. Um. Tom, I'm going to be really judgy here and say, did you look at how Leicester started the 16-17 season to whether that continued into that? I know they didn't have a great start. No, it it, it ended... So that, that run ended, I believe... Hang on, I've got it written down somewhere. Give me two seconds. Oh, I'm going to... Leicester City, 16-17. So they ended the season with a 12-match unbeaten run. Oh, they lost their first game of the season to the Hull. Because they they got off to a horrendous start that year, and that obviously led to to Ranieri getting the sack. Mm. Um, So then moving on, there's a few 13-game unbeaten runs in there. Then you move on to the likes of Aston Villa, who between May 98 and November 98 went 14 games unbeaten. So that was a team that consisted of the likes of Holmes Under the Hammer presenter Dion Dublin, most appearances in Premier League history, Gareth Barry, and current England boss, Gareth Southgate. The villains at the end of the run were top of the tree, but then ultimately finished the season in sixth after losing their unbeaten run in a 4-2 defeat to Liverpool. Leeds also managed 14 back in August 93 and December 93, a run which was ended by Norwich City in a 2-1 defeat. If you remember the name, Efan Nkuku scored the winner that day. Leeds would ultimately finish that season in fifth. The most recent entry to this list, however, of unbeaten runs prior to Brentford is Newcastle. And Newcastle did it this very season. 
they went on a 17-game unbeaten run this year between September and February. The run was bookended by two defeats to Liverpool, but with the new regime and at St James's Park, surely their record for the Geordies for the Geordies will be up for grabs sooner rather than later. They're moving on to the current holders of the longest unbeaten run by a member of the other 14. Reese, any guesses? So my only guesses would be teams that have freakishly ended up high in the league in like the 90s when we weren't really... So in my mind, you've got like the likes of Norwich in the season that they finished second um, in the early 90s. For the life of me, I can't think of any team, obviously, other than teams that have won the league... So like the likes of Leicester, because I would have gone, yes, Leicester would have gone on a really good run there. Yeah. Aware of Newcastle at the start of this season. Um, but I can't think of a team that has almost surprised anyone that much and been, because to go on a run like that, you need the need to be starting really near the bottom of the table and work your way up, or you just from the start of the season. Yeah. Because what do you say? Is, is it more than Newcastle 17 run, did you say? Yeah, it's 25. So it's got to be a team that, okay, so they've ended a season well and started a season well, surely. Otherwise, a 25 unbeaten run would pretty much guarantee win you the league. league. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a team that consists of players the likes of Stan Collymore, Kevin Campbell, Stuart Pearce, and Erling Haaland's dad, Alfie. Is it a Forest run? Nottingham Forest. So they they did this back in '95, and they near they went from I think February until November unbeaten. So that's nearly a calendar year where they went unbeaten, and it's so good that it ranks in the actual top ten of Premier League's best unbeaten runs in joint ninth with United. Obviously, absolutely fantastic for them, but it just goes to show there is a certain time when you want to hit form. Yeah. Like you, not between seasons. Not basically. you. Almost, you don't want the. Obviously, they probably had very good finishes in both seasons. Yeah. I'd imagine, um, but for it to be an overlap is obviously really unfortunate for them to be able to go. Because I suppose if you finished a season that well, like they clearly did, and then going into the start of that season, you then start it so well. They must have been near the, near the top of the tree, and they must have been so excited at the fact that they could keep this going and finish as possible title winners obviously didn't happen for them but that's an absolutely astonishing run for them so um, they went they went 13 games unbeaten to end the 94-95 campaign and then obviously started 95-96 by going unbeaten in 12 games if you're 12 12 games unbeaten at the start of the season you think you're winning the premier league oh like, you can't you can't not that that sort of run but it's any, just incredible. Any guesses what the score was when the run finally came to an end? Because it's quite apparent this weekend. Oh, it's not a seven, is it? They lost 7-0 to Blackburn. Oh, what a, what a way to fall <laughs> apart. I'm so... They lost to reigning champions Blackburn and Alan Shearer absolutely tore them apart. He scored a hat-trick and assisted twice. That's brutal. That is so, so brutal. Set, in all fairness, that's the reason you don't win the league. If you lose a game 7-0, you're so disheartened. You're never oh, going to live. That is a... 
Wow. What a way um, to absolutely capitulate. What a way to finish it, right? What a way to capitulate on such a good start of the season. You're 12 g- games unbeaten, then you're like, you know what? Let's lose so, 7-0. Christ when they went, alive. When they went 13 games unbeaten to end 94-95, they ended up in third. When they okay. started 95-96 by going unbeaten in 12, they finished ninth. Oh. And then they get relegated the next season. That so is Bruce. You kind of that think is a if, roller coaster and a half. If you think fans. of those twenty-five games, if they had them all in one season, yeah. And then obviously you just take the rest of like the average of their wins and losses for those rest of those seasons. I reckon they would probably finish top, right? Oh yeah, like that. Oh, what a bad way to hit astonishingly good form. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'll just quickly grab up if that is, and that was back when it was a 42 game Premier League season. So it was slightly more games to be played, but still, if you're going unbeaten over 25. What's it, so do you say it started in 95, 96? Yeah, it, uh, it started in 94, 95, started in the February of that year, of 95, obviously. Okay, so, oh, wow. So, oh, look at the, oh, they won so many games. So in that 13 to end the season, they won nine, uh, they drew four and won nine, yep. which is absolutely incredible. And then starting off the next season, they then proceeded to, in all fairness, a fair amount of draws, but um, one, two, three, four, five, six, six draws and six wins. So that's across the... Across their twenty-three, oh sorry, across their twenty-five games, it was ten draws and fifteen wins, which is fifty-five points from twenty-five games. That is, that's, I mean, that that like okay, let's let's put that into perspective right now because that's sort of roughly the point at which we're out of the season, right? Yeah, twenty uh, twenty-five games down. So, so what's the table looking at right now? So that would put them thirds that's realistically in this year's in yeah. this year's league do you know what's even more gussing about looking at that season now they lost to blackburn 7-0 they then went on a four game run of one all draws so they could oh. have extended it to near 30 games had they not looked absolutely capitulated against blackburn Oh, man. So obviously, for comparison, the record as it stands in the Premier League is forty nine for Arsenal, and then it goes yeah. to forty five, I think, for Liverpool. Um, so that they had still some way of going for obviously going to the absolute record. But then, if you go into the absolute record, you're also looking at titles where yeah, Nottingham exactly. Forest clearly definitely weren't. Oh, exactly. But then, even looking, if we're taking it back to present day where the likes of Newcastle went on their 17 game run and um, Forrest um, and Brentford are currently on their existing 12 game run you have to, it's obviously I'm going to say it's something sounds really basic and obvious and I sound like my glowing it's obviously easier to go on those unbeaten runs when you are one of the bigger teams and you do have a bigger squad and you can rotate more yeah. Um, obviously, one of the strengths of Brentford is that they do currently have a small squad and they're able to turn out the same squad week in, week out. But to an extent, it might make them a little bit more predictable and more likely to win. But the fact that they churned out 
big results against what I'm going to say are bigger teams in the fact that they beat Liverpool, they drew with, uh, they beat Liverpool, they beat City, they drew with Tottenham. Um, is absolutely incredible from them. So I'm all for these fantastic runs. Seeing Forrest's 25 game run is absolutely astonishing. Um, I almost want Brentford to beat it, but if they were to go, that in theory, them being going almost the rest of the season, unbeaten, I mean, the, the, yeah. So there you have which, it. You've, you've you've basically got to double their current run to reach the heights of Forest back in the 90s. I think what's also surprising that I've literally just seen that list of top top ten um, unbeaten runs in the Premier League. So they're currently on twelve. Their thirty, their next thirteen games will take them to the thirteenth of May. With only two games left of the season, um, in all fairness, it does. I mean, they that, don't put them in the Champions League spots. Yeah, they, well, uh... exactly. So, it, but no. Well, thank you so much for enlightening no. me on these incredible runs. Obviously, the unsurprising ones being Blackburn and Leicester since they won the league. The surprising one, obviously, being Forest that they kind of straddled the two seasons, um, which is almost to their detriment mm. in the end. I'll, yeah. I'll also add the fact that, again, what surprises me the most is United being the big sort of Premier League juggernaut that they are, 13 league titles. Their best unbeaten run in the Fergie era was 29 matches. So Forrest were only four off of that. Which right, those, those one, had they, had they performed better in the... Um, in the, yeah, I in guess. the Blackburn game. I suppose, and not knowing much more about the other fixtures that they're in, inevitably Manchester United under Ferguson were juggling something of a European campaign as well most yeah. seasons to towards the late stages. So, um, But yeah, you're right. And, but that's the difference between certain teams. Like obviously, when Liverpool went on their incredible run, you just never saw them losing. Arsenal's Invincibles were just absolutely astonishing. But I always think there were that Manchester United team under Ferguson never looked completely unbeatable. But it's the fact that so often they came through games last minute to win them, and yeah. that's what made them champions so regularly. Yeah. Um, but no, I suppose with the current longest run being Brentford's. Um, we can only wish them the best for the next 13 games to see if they can match Forrest's record, even if and it is an inevitable absolute... apology that oh, everyone might end up losing tonight. The game, the game kicks off in just over 90 minutes, and I just feel that we've cursed it completely. So I feel terrible if if they, if they lose. Well, at least we can do an apology podcast next episode to all Brentford yeah. fans. But no, Tom, thank you very much for that stats corner. So, Tom, it's time for you to be judge, jury and award giver. It is Goal of the Week. Goal of the Week. So, Tom, what goals caught your eye this week and which is the best from the other 14 in this Premier League game week? Well, I'm sorry to have to bring it up again, Reese, but I think Brian pretty much had their own sort of goal of the week sort of contest between themselves um, in their 4-0 happening of West Ham. Obviously, I'd, I'd like to give McAllister one as well, but it was a penalty, so obviously that isn't. But then you, I look at the rest of that three. Matomas and Welbeck's were absolute bangers, classy finishes. Um, Matoma is just on another level right now, uh, playing some sensational football. 
I like I you know what I like Veltman's goal as well, just purely of the fact it's sort of very much Mario uh, Mario Balotelli esque and just that sort of sense is like oh the ball's coming towards me I know what I'm going to do chest it in that's what I'm going to do, um so I yeah really really um really sensible finish that I like Billings against Arsenal um just purely with the fact that you could tell straight away exactly from the setup how Bournemouth were going to go oh they just, uh, the fact like, they had like five or six men on the halfway line and just all charged <laughs> forward like a battalion was, of like a, a war it, like men over the top at the trenches they just gunned it from the word it was go. like 100 100 meter um 100 meter finals you know they were just sort of set up in their blocks just ready to go whistle blew and they were just they set off and Billing is just there just to literally wipe really up. It was intricate and it, ball it, into Billing, though. That's the thing. It was it really, really was. Well. It wasn't like one of those. Like We talk about um, Shane Long, who has the fastest Premier League goal, where he pretty much ran down and charged down the keeper and got it. This is completely different. Yeah, it was, obviously worked at this. It was almost like a set-piece goal from a kickoff, which is absolutely... Yeah. You hardly ever see it. Um, obviously, you... I might see more from that from, from Bournemouth. I'd like to see it from all teams. If you've got a set piece, yeah. like if you've got a kickoff routine, rather than just passing it back to your centre back who lumps it long, much prefer what they yeah. did. Is absolutely incredible from them. Do we, do we now count kickoffs as set pieces now? <laughs> is that the well, thing? They are, we... they are set pieces, aren't you they? Can... It's a dead ball situation. So if you can put a set piece together from, I'd, that... like, I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more teams do that. Um, unfortunately, won't win because obviously. Bournemouth, it was a it was a defeat for them, but um, it still gets an honourable mention. And we know um, everyone's I, disappointed with a nine second finish. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Then we go to uh, again. I've already mentioned so far this week is the Wolves against Spurs result. I really like Triori's finish. Really, really, it, it was, he basically had it to was sort a bizarre of goal. contrive. It was bizarre. But he, he just sort of had to contort himself into a position where he could get contact on the ball and just happen to get it and just absolutely leather it past um, past it, Forster. It was really weird because he like jumped rather than like having one foot planted and going for it with the other, or even like mm. Decanio esque, like both feet like almost like the the volley that he did he created. Um, it was weird because he almost jumped a bit vertically with both feet next to each other and then just kind of oofed one forward and made absolutely stellar yeah. connection with the ball it's one of those that you're watching it's you like go, you, you've pressed the wrong button on FIFA and just sort of press jump instead of shoot damn it <laughs> yeah like genuinely no idea how he did that in that moment it was an absolutely incredible finish but when it when it starts looking like it's falling to him you're almost expecting him to um to like plant one for side winder it on the volley but instead he kind of jumps vertically towards it like Mario-esque style and just kicks out one boot and bumps yeah. into the back of the net giving Forster absolutely no yeah, chance I, I, I loved it, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great finish <laughs> It's very interesting. Um, then there's honourable mentions for Alcaraz against Leicester the only goal in that game in the 1-0 um, at St Mary's but lovely sort of turn on the halfway line for Shea Adams then defeating Alcaraz who just ran ran straight toward Danny Ward and said I'm just going to put this in the back of the net and not to mention that Danny would have just saved a penalty literally moments earlier from James Lord Prowse. Yeah, a little disappointing um, from JWP. Um, but you're right, that little disappointing. But you know he's better from outside the box, not in, not inside. So that's true. Um, but yeah, you're right. Shea Adams, the way he kind of held the line, received it, and fed um, Alcaraz through, is a really spot on. Yeah, yeah, played really nice finish. 
and um, yeah, sent the um, sent the St Mary's faithfully into absolute raptures. Um, it looked very then... empty. It didn't look particularly busy, St Mary's. I don't blame oh. them because there's been a lot of rough football there. I, um, I still think they send a decent amount of support along. Um, I don't know what the officials' figures were, but it, it sounded as though it sent everybody off their feet. Um, and then the final one that I've got on my list um, in a game that was very frenetic and not sort of gifted with quality, but Brennan Johnson's strike, the equaliser to make it 2 all against Everton at the City ground at the weekend, I thought was a sumptuous piece of finishing. And for someone like Brennan Johnson, I think is incredibly underrated in the Premier League this season. What he's done, I think, for Nottingham Forest this year, um, I think goes very much under the radar and deserves a lot of credit. Um, and yeah, basically single-handedly drew drew uh, Nottingham Forest back into that game. Um, yeah, I have to say that little game, from him. Um, the game was absent of any real class finishing until he put that in. There um, was no quality whatsoever in that game. But And as for his performances for the season, I do get what you're on about. I think one of the hindrances of what I saw when they came to the London Stadium was they use him because in my mind he's more of like an attacking creative midfielder type player. And but what I don't think helps is that Cooper almost plays with no width in a forward line. So I think he almost relies on fullbacks pushing up, but when they're like away from home, they sit quite defensively. So he doesn't really have anyone going around him yeah. on the outside. Um, but in terms of his finish, it was really good. Well played into him, and it was a great curling effort into the uh, far stick to give Pickford no chance. Um, yeah, and completely unlike his first goal, which was an absolute shambles from Pickford, the way he palmed it out to him, gifted to him, absolutely, yeah, absolutely gifted it to him. So, um, but no, I think Brennan Johnson is a very. Well, I don't have any, any others. Yeah, so I think Brennan I don't Johnson... have any others on my shortlist. Sorry, mate, go on. <laughs> I think Brennan Johnson's is a very worthy um, nomination for it as well. Yeah, I uh, at this point I don't have any sort of further candidates that I can sort of immediately mention for um, for goal of the week. Um, just also a big shout out that seemed to be a massive amount of clean sheets this week. Um, there were like four and... clean sheets, weren't there, from the other fourteen? So yeah, I think Villa, Villa, Wall, Southampton, wins. Brighton, all. All kept clean sheets. Um, yeah. And I think before the Forest-Everton game, we were basically looking at every single game was like a home win. Yeah, that's With no much. team scoring. Wow. It, pretty, wow. Every game, no away team... Actually, apart from Bournemouth, Bournemouth scored twice, but yeah. No away team got more than a point this game week. Um, and that's going to continue because uh, Fulham won't get a win at Brentford. We're saying that now. Yeah. Um Wow, vibes, that, vibes, that vibes. is a surprising game week. You don't normally get that. Um, to be honest, no. when I when I saw Everton were leading against Forest, I thought, "Oh, this is going to upset. That this isn't going to be necessarily good for uh, the pre- for the teams down there." But then the draw seemed to satisfy everyone. In, if I'm honest, so um, I don't I think, think. Yeah, um, I did Forest re- return to some form of form and Everton pick up a point. So yeah, so. But no, um, goal of the week. I can't think of any other goals apart from the ones you've mentioned. Though, yeah, as you say, a couple in the yeah. Brighton. Billings is worth mentioning. Um, Adama's was pretty good. And yeah, the others, well, Villas was an own goal from a Palace defender, which is always quite amusing. So yeah, um, yeah well, it's your pick. And I think you've got a good bunch to select from this week. Yeah, 100%. It's a, it's a tricky, uh, tricky decision this week. 
in other weeks, I probably would be looking at the likes of Matomas um, or Welbeck strike. But, and it's not a pretty finish, but I have to give him credit for the just the, the way he's sort of construed his body to get there in the first place. I think I've got to give this week to Adama Traore. Yeah, I think because it's a very good goal. Plus is against the big six. Yeah, it's a it's a win for another 14 against the big six. And it was really unconventional, um, which I do like. Yeah. It was unconventional and quality. So um and it was also one where it hit the crossbar and then like kind of bounced just over the line and it was really satisfying the fact that it only just crossed the line yeah. on the oh, it was just yeah, really good vibes about that goal. So um well done, Adama Traore, on winning this week's goal of the week. And Tom, to round off this episode, it's time to talk about our Fab Four predictions game. So the Fab Four contest is the competition that pitches our score prediction skills against one another. Yeah, this week, um, obviously we've still got the Fulham-Brentford score to come out. Um, So Villa v Palace, we both acknowledge that Palace don't travel particularly well and we both went for the Villa win there. both of us were fairly optimistic, and we shouldn't have been. We were optimistic about West Ham's chances and thought they were going to get a point away at Brighton, but they Not, didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> all three went to the home team at the Amex. And then Forrest v Everton, you boldly predicted the draw. So that is a point for you. While I thought it would just be a nice Forrest home win. Um <laughs> So, I was expecting a high-scoring draw. I mean, two all isn't exactly high-scoring, but I was not expecting both teams to score twice. In all fairness, the quality of goals, they might as well not have scored. They might as well not have bothered. Yeah. So, thank God for Johnson's to add a yeah. little bit of class to the game. So, you getting uh, two points from those games and me getting one puts you onto 32 points, and I still have a slender lead sitting on 35 points. Obviously, we still do have the Brentford-Fulham result to come out, which could still change everything. And Tom, yeah, before... I've gone for a 2-1 and you've gone for a 2 all. Yes, so we will see what happens there. Um, before we go on to predicting next week's games, Tom, could you please tell us what games we have to look forward to in the upcoming game week? So here are the fixtures for the match week 27 of this year's Premier League. We've got a Saturday lunchtime kickoff where Bournemouth play host to Liverpool, hoping to get some revenge for the 9-0 earlier this year. Leeds play host to Brighton at the start of the three o'clock. It's Everton against Brentford, Leicester against Chelsea, Tottenham play host to Nottingham Forest, Palace host City in the evening kickoff on the Saturday, and then our... Sunday matches look like this. We've got United against Southampton. It's West Ham playing host to Aston Villa. Fulham in the London Derby against Arsenal. And it is Newcastle against Wolves. We've also got some make-up games uh, from earlier on in the year. So Southampton uh, will play Brentford on the Wednesday. That's a half-seven kickoff. And Brighton play host to Crystal Palace in the M23 Derby. It's also on the Wednesday. Also, a half seven kickoff. So, I was listening to a, a, a football phone in um, the other week, and it was quite interesting because it's called the M23 Derby. You don't really go on that road to between both clubs. Um, I, I prefer it as if it was just called the Avian Derby. 
Um, yeah, the seagulls against the eagles. I prefer yeah, that. Seagulls, eagles. It's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots of interesting games to go forward there. Obviously, all um, we have six games where the other 14 are matched up against the big six. Um, as you mentioned, Tom, the big one being Bournemouth trying to avoid embarrassment at home to Liverpool after um, after what was Scott Parker's last match earlier on in the season where nine goals were <laughs> were too much to keep to keep him in his job. So the other 14, sorry. And so the fab four games that we will be predicting this week are Everton v Brentford. Leeds at home to Brighton, the John Carew derby as West Ham faced Aston Villa, and then Newcastle versus Wolves. Hmm. So, Everton-Brentford, the one thing we can't predict is a Brentford loss. So, I'm going to jump in early and say Brentford are going to win 2-0. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll just be straight and sim- uh, yeah, straight to the point. I think I go two one Brentford. Okay, then Leeds v Brighton. Leeds are very much struggling, and the Seagulls absolutely flying. Leeds do perform better at home than they do away, but Brighton being Brighton um, and Leeds very much struggling as they are, I do predict that Brighton will be definite favourites in this. But I, I I get the sense that it might be closer than I think what everyone else might be expecting. I will probably still go for a 2-0 Brighton result, though. A 2-0 Brighton result. So Brighton beat Leeds at the Amex at the start of the season with just one goal to nil. Um just given how Leeds' absolutely lack of quality, it's really hard to say that they'll score at all. So I'm going to go for a Brighton 3-0 win, just because I can't go as the same as you, and I don't see yeah. Leeds scoring. Um, I'll wait for them to prove me wrong. Okay, and then we have West Ham at home to Aston Villa. Um, David Moyes' men in absolute desperate need for a, a win, while Unai Emery's men are forming really quite well at the moment um, and not far off that golden 40 point safety margin not that they'll be anywhere near it given the amount of teams below them that are in trouble so yeah Tom where do you think all the beans will be going in this one I think West Ham will be happy that this one's at home their form at home in comparison to their waveform is like chalk and cheese. It's it's so vastly different. I, I do expect West Ham to put in some form of performance here. Villa, as much as they have been good um, since Emery's taken over, they do leak goals every now and again. Um, I, You know what? I, I, I back West Ham on this one. I'm going to go for West Ham 2, Villa 1 result. Perfect. West Ham 2, Villa 1. Um I won't allow myself to put down a West Ham win because I'm not allowed to be positive about West Ham because um, I feel like I'm jinxing it. So I'm going to say that I'm making a bold sweeping prediction, which I hope doesn't come true. I'm going to say that Villa will win 3-0 and that will be the end of David Moyes. I don't want that to be the case. 
Do you want that as a little conditional as well, to extra like extra bonus point? Yeah, do I get a bonus point if I can predict when a manager gets sacked? Yeah. You might as well put you might as well put the bet on. Um, I just think, given the performance that they had against Brighton, apparently players aren't too chuffed with Moisey at the moment. Right. But anyway, final thing we have the Magpies against the Wolves of Wolverhampton. So Newcastle on a bit of a they've not won in a while lots of draws they had the disappointment of losing the EFL Cup so their last win actually came on the 5th their last league win actually came on the 15th of January a home win to Fulham so it's almost been two months for them do you see them changing this run of form I think they'll eventually get out of form because I think they're just too good of a side not to get out of it. But I think it'll be a close game because Newcastle have been struggling to score goals. I don't see Wolves shipping a load. Um, so I'll probably say a Newcastle 1, Wolves nil result. Um, I'm going to go for a Newcastle 2-1 win because I think for all those reasons you just mentioned, they're going to hit a bit of a run of form eventually they will start scoring goals but Wolves have looked a bit of a threat in their last couple of games so yeah I think they will snatch one back and of course we'll see how we do next week when all the results come in and hopefully we'll be putting in a better performance than we did predicting last week's results Tom we say this every week though we apart from the weeks where we do well and then we want to match it which hasn't been many fair point And with that, we are at the end of this episode of The Other 14 Podcast. Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode. You're welcome. And thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this episode. Please subscribe to the pod and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. Um, Tom, it recently uh, became known to me that there isn't really... Show how you like YouTube has an algorithm... And yep. even like all your reels have an algorithm and your people's TikToks um, and your Spotify. There isn't an algorithm for podcasts. So literally the only way we can spread this around is by word of mouth and people. Obviously, we could pay for mass marketing campaigns on Twitter, but I don't want to give Elon Musk any money. Um, that's the only obstacle. You know? Not that we've got no money. It's that, <laughs> it's that I don't want to give anything to him. So it is really... It would be really great for us if you could just this week, any listeners, just recommend us to one fan that you know, and that'd be that'd be a little gift to us, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really would. Just to just to spread the word of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And so it's goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the other fourteen podcast.